If you're new today, um, I kind of apologize, but I don't. But we are, we are in the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, and um, not necessarily the easiest of, of the books of the Bible to understand in some ways. Um, so I hope, because we're kind of a few weeks in, that you can, you can join us today and, and pick up what we're saying, and even if you don't understand it all, um, that you'll get the essence of what I talk about this morning. And um, if you or anyone watching online, if you want to go back and watch any of our messages, you can do that um, via, via YouTube and via our website. And our evening messages are also avail- all, all available on, on Spotify and podcast and the various platforms to listen and to watch uh, the sermons that we preach here. Uh, we're on a great wide passage this week. Uh, we're in Revelation chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 7. And um, we'll see where it leads us. I want to give you a couple of kind of caveats, a couple of preemptions. Um, and, and one is that, the, that, that these passages and, and throughout Revelation are open to kind of various interpretations, I guess. And um, people have seen um, some of the truths that are taught in Revelation from different angles and have, have read Revelation in, in different perspectives. So what I'm presenting to you this morning is my understanding of it, my, my uh, understanding of what it's saying, and I'm trying to stick to the essence of the, of the passage and the text. But there are good theologians, there are good Bible-believing Christians who might interpret elements of the passages that I'm reading to you slightly differently. So we have a relationship, you and I. My relation, my job is to teach the Scripture as, as faithfully and as truthfully as I can, and your job as a congregation is to test it and to listen to it and to weigh it and, uh, and, to, uh, and to study the word for yourself as well. So together, I think we'll get there today and um, I, I will teach it um, as humbly but as truthfully and as faithfully as I can. If you remember the setting of the scene of, of chapter, as we come into chapter 6 and chapter 7, uh, last week, we looked at, the, we looked at this, the, the heavenly visions of John. John is on the Isle of Patmos. He's been exiled there, and he's having these visions of heaven. And, and last week, we looked at how he was taken up into the very throne room of God and how he looked and how he saw an image of, of heaven and described it in various ways. And, and as we've said all along, there's a lot of symbolism, there's a lot of metaphor in these descriptions and not necessarily uh, literary or to be taken literally, uh, but, but um, last week we looked at the, the beauty of heaven, the awesomeness of, of heaven and the throne room of God, that the Lamb is on the throne, and, and we looked at the, the jewel-like descriptions that were given and, and the rainbow that was surrounding the throne room of God and, and just that, the beauty of that, of that place and, and the description of it by John as he sees it and describes it to this church. But also he described the power of God, the awesome, scary power of God, as he described the thunder and the lightning and, uh, and the fact that God is, is an awesome God, that God is powerful and, and mighty. And the question came forth from heaven as John heard it was, um, as, as he looked and he saw that, that God the, on the throne was holding a scroll in his hand and the question was asked, who is worthy to open this scroll? Who is worthy to, to open the seals of the scroll? Because it, it was a scroll in the hand of God in this vision and seven seals on it, wax seals, that sealed this document. And the question that was asked was, who is worthy? And, 
And for a moment, it seemed that nobody was worthy, that, that John looked and, and, and he waited and he said, nobody in heaven and nobody on earth and nobody under the earth. Nobody was found that was worthy to open the scroll because this scroll was a depiction of, of God's judgment and God's salvation, God's plan for mankind. And as he held it up and as he held history in his hand, the question was, who can open these seals? Who can implement God's plan? Who can bring God's plan of salvation and judgment onto the earth. And, and finally the answer came as John looked. He said, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is worthy to open the scroll. And I, I looked, John says, and I saw a lamb as though it had been slain. And this vision that John had of a, of a lion and a lamb was representative of Jesus who was worthy to open the scroll, was worthy to implement God's plan of salvation and judgment upon the earth. And of course, this, all of this is written to the early church that is facing uh, persecution, that is facing conflict, but it's also facing the challenge of complacency, of a, of a church that's kind of giving over to lukewarmness and, and losing their sense of love and passion for God, but also a church that is tempted to compromise with, with the Roman culture that it is suffering under and the economic straits and difficulties that the Christians are facing. And, and many of them are literally... <coughs> Bearing witness, they are martyrs, they are losing their lives for the faith that they profess in Jesus Christ. So the challenge and the comfort comes of there is one who is worthy to implement and open the scroll. And that one is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. It is the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world. And that's where we ended last week in this sense of eruption of praise in heaven as there were concentric waves of praise worshipping the Lamb on the throne and, and that was the vision that John had. Now, in, in chapter 6 and 7, we then move on to the opening of the scroll, to the opening of the seals, the seven seals. And uh, we will start to look at the unfolding of the judgment of God upon the earth, the unfolding of the plan of God's salvation for mankind and what it looks like. And, um, and that's what we're going to be looking at today in chapters 6 and 7, the opening of the seals, the first six seals on the scroll uh, by the Lamb of God and, and uh, what that looks like. There's a couple of questions that I want to ask us that I found in the text that I think need to be answered. The first question that I think is asked in this text comes when we get to the fifth seal that is opened. And that is in chapter 6 and verse 9. And the question that is being asked by those that are being persecuted, that have given their lives is how long, O oh Lord? How long is this going to last? How long until your judgment comes and your vindication and your righteousness upon the earth? We read this question that is asked as, as the Lamb of God opens the fifth seal in verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them were given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been well, was completed. There's a question that is asked by the church by those that have given their lives, those that have stood and have been slain for the word of God 
the preaching of the gospel and the testimony that they had maintained. When will you vindicate us, Lord? When will you avenge our blood? How long will it be? It's a question that is asked throughout the scriptures. It's a question that the psalmist asked in Psalm 35 when uh, he was being maligned and slandered by his enemies. And he asked God, God, when will you vindicate me? And when, when will you come? And when will you bring justice on the earth? And how long will it be, O oh God? And this is a question in a long I guess that many people ask in times of suffering and loss, is how long? How long will this last? How long will this grief last? How long will this loss last? How long will this pain last? How long, O oh God? And I think it is a quintessential human question. And the Bible says that actually these light and momentary troubles, Peter calls them, are preparing for us a weight of glory in eternity. That, that, the way Peter frames it is that actually these, these things that you're going through right now, the pain and suffering of creation, the longing of creation that is being asked of God, how long will it be, God, until you bring your salvation, your full salvation, until you redeem the earth? It is as if creation is groaning, the Bible says. It's, it's as if it's in birth pains and the question is asked at an individual level, but at a, at a creative and creational level, is how long, God, until your judgment comes? How long until your righteousness is revealed? How long, oh God? And there is a groaning in us as we look at the brokenness of our world and as we look at our own brokenness and our own sufferings at times and the things that we go through at an individual level, we ask ourselves sometimes, how long will this last, God? How long until you come again? And, and there is that longing for the, for the presence of God, for the vindication of God, for the justice of God. There is a cry uh, of our hearts. And there's a cry also against injustice. Injustice is one of the greatest emotions that we can feel. If we feel that we've been unjustly treated, if we feel that an injustice has been done, it is a terrible emotion to feel. When we feel that something wrong has been done and it needs to be righted, it needs to be put right. And there is something in the human heart, the human psyche, the human soul, the human spirit that cries out for justice, for the, for the rightness of God. There is something in us of the image of God that wants justice and rightness. So this is a question I see in this passage. It's a question that's been asked by these saints in this vision before the throne room of God as they have been slain for the word of God and for the testimony that they have maintained. How long, O oh God? There's another question that I, I read as I read through these couple of chapters. And it, it is, it's not asked by Christians. It's asked by non-Christians. It's asked by the great and the good. It's asked in uh, chapter 6 and verse 15. As, as the sixth seal is opened and, and uh, the end of the world comes and there is the judgment of God is coming, we read in, in verse 15 of chapter 6, we read another question that's asked. And it's this, and they, they call, and then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, every slave, every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They call to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. 
For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? If you remember that this, the church of the first century was under the oppression of Domitian and, and, and the Roman emperors, the, uh, the, the church was being persecuted, and Nero was uh, killing the Christians and throwing them to the lions, and his followers, uh, uh, ultimately Domitian, took it to another, another level of persecution. And, and uh, there was this thing called, uh, uh, called the, the cult of the empire, really, of the Roman empire, where they were calling for people to bow down and worship Caesar as Lord and as God and as everlasting king. And there was, there was a sense of who was in control here. The generals were in control. The Roman army was in control. Uh, the kings of the earth were in control. The Christians, it seemed, were cowering, were giving their lives, were, were failing in one sense. They were, they were excluded from society, from business guilds, and because of their profession of faith and their unwillingness to bow down to Caesar and to this emperor of worship. But here the the tables are re- reversed as John looks up into heaven and after the opening of the six seals of the scroll, which represents the plan of God's salvation and judgment, he sees these men carrying, these people of power, these earthly powers, kings of the earth, princes, generals, the mighty, the rich, and every slave and every free man, kowtowing, bowing down, asking the rocks even to fall on them, because of the fear that they feel at the wrath that is to come from the Lamb of God who is on the throne, the judgment of God that comes upon the earth. And the question that they ask, the question that is asked, I guess, of all mankind is, who can stand? Who can stand before this wrath of God? Who can stand before the throne of God? Who can stand before the Lamb and the judgment of God, the righteousness of God? Who can stand? And that's a question that I want to ask today as well. The first question is, is how long, oh God, until your righteousness is revealed on the earth, your judgment comes, your salvation is, is loosed upon the earth? How long is the cry of the Christian church? And then here's the cry of humankind, really. Who can stand before this judgment of God? Who can stand before this God who is called out to be holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty? Who can stand before this throne of thunder and lightning and righteousness and power and awesomeness and holiness and otherness and godness? Who can stand? And they cannot stand before this God and before this judgment. The third question I want to ask, which is in the text by inference, is what are you putting your trust in? What are you putting your faith in? What are you relying on? The first four seals that the Lamb of God opens reveals the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which we have um, perhaps heard culturally referred to, these four horses, these four riders, these four colored horses, and they've become part of a kind of cultural imagination, the, the riders, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, as the Lamb of God opens the scroll in heaven in this vision of John, As each seal is opened, seal one, seal two, seal three, seal four, each of these seals reveals a horseman that comes. We read that the angels call out, come, and a rider comes forth as John sees this vision and represents something of the things that people rely on, but also 
represents something of the curse that is on humankind and the judgment of God that is revealed throughout the centuries. Let's, let's read it. it. It reads slightly strangely to our modern ears. And remember, this is apocalyptic literature. It's symbolic. It's painted in bright, vivid, cold, uh, bold colors for us to imagine, to strike our imagination, to open our eyes to a spiritual truth. So this is what it says. Um, I watched, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals of the scroll in God's hand. Then I heard one of the four living creatures, these angelic beings, say in a voice like thunder, come. I looked and there before me was a white horse and its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. A white horse, a rider holding a bow, and a crown on his head, and bringing conquest on the earth. And when the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And then another horse came out, a fiery red one. And its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. So there's a second horse, it's red in color. Its rider is given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. And he carries a large sword. And then the lamb opened the third seal, and I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there before me was a black horse. And its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. There's a third horse that is, comes with the third seal. It's a black horse carrying weighing scales. And there's this voice questioning the cost of food. Um, a quart of wheat is about what a man would eat, and it's a day's wages, a denarius. It's about 10 times in inflation what, was, what it would have cost at that time. It's an inflationary cost. It is a, a, a representation of scarcity, of not enough, of economic Difficulty. Three quarts of barley is enough for a family for a day's wages. But there is still oil and wine on the earth. And when the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a pale horse, and its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. And they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword and famine and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. So it's a strange picture, isn't it? The four horsemen of the apocalypse. The four colored horses, the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, and the pale horse, the color of death. And these represent, these four horses, they represent the judgment of God. They represent the plan of salvation of God, the opening of the seals, the four seals, the first four seals. But they also represent the, the things that have come down the, the ages, uh, that have, have challenged the church, that have challenged society, conquest and war, uh, economic scarcity and difficulty and trouble, conflict, men killing each other, civil unrest, and death and hell, as, or Hades, as represented by these four different types of way that death comes that also uh, comes from the Old Testament. Much of this is bedded in the Old Testament, this, this language. 
There's a passage in Zechariah that talks of the of four horses and speaks of the judgment of God. There's, there's passages throughout the Old Testament that speak of these, the coming of these things. In the churches day, in the early churches day, they believed in something or there, there was the promulgation of the promise of the Pax Romana, Roman peace. That the Romans would bring peace upon the earth. That the Romans would bring economic well-being. But what the church was facing then was the challenge. Will you put your trust in Roman peace? Will you put your trust in Roman power? Will you put your trust in Roman culture? Will you put your trust in, in all of these things? And elements of the church in John's day were doing just that. They were saying if for an easy life, if we will just mix in, if we will just fit in with society and culture, if we will just uh, not rock the boat, if we compromise a little, if we bend a little on our teaching, if we fit in a little culturally, uh, we can enjoy this peace, this Pax Romana. We can enjoy this cultural well-being. We can enjoy uh, economic well-being. But actually, uh, to put your trust in any of those things, John says, the judgment of God will come and these things, none of them will be reliable. And throughout the ages, now some people have interpreted these seals as, as being chronological, that, they, that if you follow the seals through one, two, three, four, five, you'll get ready for six and the end of the world. And if we can just read history and read what's happening through history and, and look at the economic state of the world or look at wars and rumors of wars, then we can depict when the end of the world will come. And people have tried to do that down the ages. And have failed miserably on many occasions and sometimes people have actually named dates they've worked out from the code of revelation when the end of the world will come you can't do that and and down through the ages these four things have been representative down through the church age they've always been present war and rumors of war conflict civil unrest there's been there's been so much of it even of late the conquest of one country by another does it remind you of anything in current times? Or economic difficulty, economic meltdown, inflation, the challenge of food costing more than it once did and stretching wages. And there, there is the challenge of, of men killing each other, of civil unrest, of genocide. We've had several episodes of major genocide throughout the earth in the last century, but throughout the centuries, throughout the, the, the time of, of the church age. So death and Hades, the place of the dead, and economic uh, hardship and conquest and civil unrest brings a purging and a cleansing to the church of God and, and brings the judgment of God upon the earth. The thing that we can see as we look at these opening of these Seals and this command of heaven, the command of the heavenly beings to come to these horsemen. And also it was given to them. A crown was given. A sword was given. A bow was given. There is a sense of God holding his hand of restraint over the earth and over his judgment upon the earth and upon humankind that has rejected God and his ways. There is a sense of holding back the judgment of God. As we look at this, God is still on the throne. He's still the lamb 
upon the throne. He is still sovereign. He's still in control. And yet, these things happen throughout the ages and afflict and affect humankind and the church as well. Affect the church as well. Economic hardship, conflict, war, rumors of war, death that comes to a quarter of the earth through these means. There is a sense of restraint. And as we go to the start of chapter 7, we see further a sense of God restraining his judgment. We read this picture again, a picture, a metaphor. But at the start of chapter 7, we read this. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. And then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. The angels are pictured here holding back the four winds, holding back the judgment of God upon the earth until the, 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 until the, and the angel can come with his seal and seal the 144,000 that is mentioned in chapter 7. We'll get that to that in a, in a second. And so we have, we, have, we have these, just to recap, we have the opening of the seals by the Lamb of God, the unfolding of history, the plan of God's salvation and judgment upon the earth, the various forms that that judgment takes as represented by these four horses, these four different colored horses, this vivid picture of the judgment and the salvation of God as the Lamb upon the throne, but it's still under God's sovereign power it's still, it's still under, God is still on the throne. The Lamb is still on the throne. The angelic beings still speak the word, come to these harbingers of the judgment of God. And, and, and we remember in the back of our minds, we remember the questions that we are asking of ourselves, that the text is asking of us, that the saints are asking, is how long, God, until your judgment comes? How long until we are vindicated? Until you make the earth right again? How long will it be? And the other question that I think permeates this text and the human condition is in light of God's judgment, in light of what happens down through the ages, who can stand God? Who can stand before such a holy, righteous, powerful, awesome God? Who can stand? And the third question that we're asking by inference is, is what are we basing our confidence, our trust on as we look these things that affect the church and humankind throughout the ages and continue to do so, what are we basing our trust on? How do those three things fit together? And then we get to the sense of restraint of the judgment of God by these angelic beings in this image that John paints as the, as the angel comes forward with a seal of God and he says, hold on until I have sealed the 144,000 and we'll read, that. we'll read that passage now at the beginning of chapter 7. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. And then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. And then it goes through and it names 12 tribes there, slight different constellation to what we find in the Old Testament. From the tribe of Judah, it starts with Judah, the lineage of Jesus, 12,000 were sealed. 
from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. And it goes through 12 tribes, 12,000, 12 times 12,000. And after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell down on their faces before the throne, and they worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And so we have this 144,000 that are standing before God, and they are wearing white robes, And they are waving palm branches. A 12 times 12 times uh, 1,000. Or 12 times 12,000. 144,000. Who are these 144,000? Again, if you talk to the Jehovah's Witnesses, they'll tell you that it is a literal number of those that will reign in heaven over the earth. It is a literal number, 144,000. There are those that believe it. It is the remnant of Israel, of physical Israel, of the Jewish nation. But what I think it represents is the church of Jesus Christ, the redeemed of the Lord. Those that have been bought with and protected by the blood of Jesus Christ. The number 12 is a great symbolic number in Revelation. And as we get later on in Revelation and, and, and further descriptions of heaven, 12 is everywhere, 12 this and 12 that and 12 times 12. And 12 is, this, is the number of fullness. And 12 times 12 times 1,000. 1,000 is a number, again, that depicts fullness in the Bible. 12 times 12 times 1,000. 144,000 represents the redeemed of the Lord. And we read later in Revelation that these are the redeemed of the Lord. And the question is asked here by one of the elders. And remember the elders, they have an interpreting kind of job in Revelation. And then one of the elders asked me, asked John, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? And I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and they have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes." Who are these? These are the redeemed of the Lord. They are the ones that have been washed and made clean by the blood of the Lamb. They stand before the throne of God, made whole. They are sealed by God, the 144,000, the redeemed of the Lord, those that can stand before God. There's, There's a story in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 12 that is a precursor of of this kind of picture, if you like. It is the story of the people of Israel who are captive in Egypt. 
And God says, I'm going to bring judgment on Egypt. I'm going to set my people free. And I'm going to kill every firstborn of every household in the land of Egypt. And the instruction came to Moses to bring to the people of God is you must take a lamb and you must slaughter the lamb. And at twilight, you must take the blood of the lamb and you must daub your households and the, and the top of your doors and the side of your doors. You must daub it with the blood of the lamb. And when the angel of death passes over the land of Egypt to slay the firstborn, it will see the blood of the lamb and it will pass over you and you will be safe, you will be protected, you will not die, you will live, you will be redeemed. And there's this tremendous picture of salvation that we find in the Old Testament of the blood of the Lamb, which we've been singing about this morning. If you think, why are we singing about this blood, the blood of the Lamb? The blood of the Lamb was, the sacrifice of the Lamb was to protect and to put over the household, to mark these ones as covered by God, protected by God. And we have here in the New Testament, we have here in this picture of Revelation, we have the answer to the question, who can stand before the judgment of God? Who can stand before the throne of God when his judgments come upon the earth? Who are these that can stand? And the and the answer is given, the, th- those that are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Those that have been washed and made clean by the blood of the Lamb of God. Peter wrote to the church, the early church, and he said, you have not been washed and cleansed and redeemed by, by money or by things that you have inherited, but you have been washed and you have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, when Jesus died on the cross for us and gave his life for us, he was the ultimate sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God, John said, who takes away the sins of the world. He is the one that came for us and died in our place. And the only people that can stand before the throne of God, the only people that can stand before the judgment of God, are those that come under the protection and the seal of the blood of the Lamb. And so we read, when we talk about the seal of God, it marks ownership and it marks protection. And we read about this when, John, uh, when Paul wrote to the same church in Ephesus, one of these churches that John is addressing. And he said these words to them. He said this, he said, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavishes on us. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That's what that's what Paul wrote to the Ephesian believers, the same one of the churches that John is writing to him. When you believed in him, you were marked with a seal. You were owned by God. I am not my own. I've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the 144,000 
The same literary technique is used by John that he used with the lion and the lamb. In, in the earlier text we read, and then I, and then I heard that the, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, then I looked and I saw a lamb. It's the same, it's the lion and the lamb, it's the same person, it's the lamb of God, the lion of Judah, uh, Jesus Christ. And we see the same happen here in this passage. We see the 144,000, those that are sealed uh, by God, and I heard, I heard 144,000. And then I saw, we read, read in chapter 7 verse 9, and then I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. I heard 144,000. I saw a number that I couldn't count from every tribe and nation and tongue. The 144,000 is just a symbolic number representing the saints of God, the people of God throughout the ages. And this great crowd that is too great to count, but who can stand? They are standing before the throne of God, before the Lamb. The ones that can stand are those that have been washed and cleansed in the blood of the Lamb. And that is the only hope that we have in life and death, that we are not our own, but we belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to Jesus Christ, our Saviour and Lord. That is our only hope in life and death. So the question that is asked in these two chapters of Revelation chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 7 is, how long, O oh God? How long will it be? When will you bring vindication? When will you bring justice upon the earth? And who can stand, O oh God? Who can stand before the wrath of the Lamb of God? We find the answer in chapter 7. It is those that have been redeemed and those that have been washed, who stand now in white robes, who wave these palm branches. It is the redeemed of the Lord. They can stand in the presence of God. They can stand made right with God. We have the sixth seal. So we've had the four seals, which were the four horses of the apocalypse, these four judgments of God. We had the fifth seal, which when the Lamb opened, it was a picture of these saints in heaven crying out before God for justice and uh, who, who had been slain because of their testimony. And then the sixth seal, I watched as he opened the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake and the sun turned black and like sackcloth made of goat hair, the whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by strong wind. And the sky receded like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. The sixth seal is the end of the age. It's the end of time. It is the final judgment of God. It's referenced in the book of Ezekiel with exactly the same language. And it's referenced in Matthew 24 by Jesus when he speaks of the end of the age, that the end will come, the final judgment of God will come, and there will be a new heavens and there will be a new earth. And then we have this description by John of the way that the Lamb will shepherd his people. And there will never again, John says, there will never again be hunger and they will never again thirst. This economic deprivation, these economic uncertainties, they will never again be. And the sun will not beat upon them, and neither will there be any scorching heat. And the lion will be at the center of the throne. The lamb will be at the center of the throne. He will be their shepherd. 
and he will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's the hope and it's the answer to how long when Jesus returns and comes again, the answer to those saints is a little while longer, a little while longer and the comfort of God comes to them. You must wait a little, a little while longer until the number of those that must give their lives as martyrs is completed. And then Jesus will come again. Jesus is coming again. He will come again. And he will bring into being a new heavens and a new earth. And we have in these two chapters perhaps a difficult passage in some ways to, to read. We don't like to read about judgment. We don't like to read about war and conflict and economic hardship. But these are the realities of the society and the culture we live in. And I think we ask the same questions today that have been asked throughout the ages. Is how long will it be God? And who can stand before such a righteous God and before such judgment? Because no one is righteous, no not one, the Bible says. And the only, the only plea that we have, the only way that you and I can stand before a righteous God it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's through the blood of the Lamb. That's how these could stand with their white robes and their palm branches. It is the redeemed of the Lord. And we are in that number if we believe in Jesus Christ. We are exempt from, protected by the blood of Jesus Christ. If we confess him as our Lord and Savior, if we give our lives to him, if we follow Christ, if we trust in him and in him alone, which is why we sing the songs that we sang this morning about being able to stand before the throne of God, about the blood of Jesus, what can wash away my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. We may differ on how we interpret elements of this passage. We may differ on how we read Revelation at times. And great theologians throughout the ages have done so. But the essence of the message remains the same. That Jesus came. He is the Lamb of God who sits on the throne of God, who reigns and rules over all of the earth. He is coming again. The end of the age will come. And he will judge all of creation. And the only way that we can stand in the judgment of God is if we are made right with God through Jesus Christ. And the onus is on every one of us to make sure that we do that. That we confess Jesus as Lord. That we accept his forgiveness of our sins. And that we are counted amongst the 144,000. The redeemed of the Lord that can stand in his presence. There's great hope in these passages. And there's great challenge to the church. The church of the first century. Some of whom were compromising some of whom were facing tremendous conflict and persecution, some of whom uh, had let in elements of the world into the church. There's great promise, there's great challenge to stand before God and to be righteous through him and through his blood. I want to pray for us this morning. And I want to pray for two sets of people. First of all, I want to pray for you this morning. If you have never committed your life to Jesus Christ, if you have never called him your Lord and your God. Because it doesn't matter if you're rich, 
It doesn't matter if you have power on this earth. It doesn't matter your social standing. It doesn't matter if in a cultural way you are a good person. The only way that you will be able to stand in the judgment of God is if you have given your life to Jesus Christ and trusted in him and his rightness with God. And if you've never done that this morning, I'd like to pray for you so that you can know that you have, that you are sealed by God, that you are owned by God, protected by God. And you have this as a deposit, promising what is to come, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians. I would like to pray for you. And if you are here within earshot of this message today, and you would like to give your life to Jesus Christ and to submit to him, you can do that right now. And uh, we're going to pray together. So let's pray for you first. And maybe you would like to pray a prayer like this. Dear Lord God, I thank you that you gave your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. Like a lamb that was slain. I pray that you will forgive me of everything I've done wrong in my life and that you will make me right with God, that you will seal me as your own, as your child, as the redeemed of God, as being bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. I thank you that you died for me and I ask you to save me And Father, I pray for every one of us today, Lord, that we wouldn't put our trust in, Lord, in times that we look around us at the world in which we live. We look at conflict, God. We look at conquest. We look at Russia and, the, and Ukraine. And we look at genocides throughout the earth. We look at human beings turning on each other and killing each other. We look, Lord, at the economy and the shaking of the economy. And God, we look at nations, God, that rage. We look at once superpowers that seem to be trembling. God, there is so little certainty in the earth and we feel challenged by it. Sometimes we might feel anxious by it and afraid of it. What is happening to the economy? What is happening in the world? What is happening with conflict? And what is happening with the culture wars? And why does it all feel so uncertain? And, and yet, God, there is, there is a judgment of God upon the earth that has come down through the ages. And the only way that we can stand, God, is if we stand in the white robes that are given to us by Jesus Christ, being made right with you. If we put our trust in you, in the Lamb who is upon the throne, there is no general, there is no king, there is no president that can usurp you or stand above you, for you are holy and you are righteous. So I pray, God, that if there are some of us asking, how long this morning? How long must I suffer? How long must I feel this grief? How long must I shed these tears? How long? God, we thank you that you've put an end to it You've marked the end of it, the, the end of time, Lord, the fulfillment of your judgment, your perfect judgment, your vindication for those that have suffered in your name and stood up for your testimony and given even of their blood and their lives, 
Even today around the world, there are those who are doing just that. And Lord, we thank you that you have marked the end. There is an end, there is a full stop. There will be the folding up of heaven and earth in a new heavens and a new earth and the coming again of Jesus Christ. We need to be ready for that day. We don't know when it will happen. We can't predict it. It's foolishness to try. But Lord, we thank you that you have answered the question and you will come in all of your fullness and all of your glory. And it is a little while longer, but we know that these momentary light troubles that we experience are nothing in comparison with the glory of God that will be revealed in that day. So help us at least to get perspective, God, the perspective of eternity and the perspective of heaven. And Lord, who can stand? We want to be able to be in that number of those that are standing before the throne of God, who are waving those palm branches of joy and celebration, who are dressed in the white robes of righteousness, who are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. We want to make sure that we are in that number and that we can stand in the judgment of God. Help us to be sure of that today, Lord God. And we thank you that we can be. And we thank you that the Lamb rules on the throne. And that whatever comes our way, conflict, conquest, economic hardship, death itself, Lord, we remember the promise of Scripture, the ultimate promise of Scripture that you gave to us, Lord. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed, apocalypsed for your sake. Let's stand together as we stand in the presence of God the righteous ones of God, the redeemed of the Lord, and let us sing and say so. Hallelujah.